You're listening to Guitars and Granola Bars, episode 40. Thank you so much for joining me here on Guitars and Granola Bars, Music Therapists Talk Motherhood. I'm your host, Rachel Rambach, and this podcast is for music therapists and anyone else balancing a passion-fueled career with being a mom. This podcast is sponsored by Listen and Learn Plus, a premium site for music therapists, music educators, parents, and anyone else who wants to give their clients, students, and children a rich musical experience. Gain instant access to a vast collection of over 200 songs, including MP3, lead sheet, and instrumental track, videos, tutorials, and visual aids, plus all new releases from Listen and Learn Music. Inside of Listen and Learn Plus, I'm sharing the very resources I use to serve my own clients and students in my thriving music therapy practice and studio. I've grown from a sole proprietor to a team of eight with a brick and mortar business, and I'll show you how I did it. If you go to listenlearnplus.com, you can enter your name and email for an inside look, including several free downloads at what membership has to offer. In this episode, I'm chatting with Kimberly Senamore, PhD, MTBC. Kimberly is a board-certified music therapist who joined the University of Miami's Frost School of Music in fall 2014 as an assistant professor of practice and clinical training director. Through her role as regulatory affairs associate for the Certification Board for Music Therapists, she's involved in state-level advocacy, legislative, and policy issues affecting music therapy practice. Online, Dr. Senna Moore co-hosts the Music Therapy Roundtable podcast and blogs at Your Musical Self for Psychology Today and Music Therapy Maven. Her clinical and research interests center on music therapy and emotion regulation development in neurodevelopmentally at-risk children. Kimberly, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I am so excited to be here. I've been a, a fan of your guitars and granola bars since it, it started. I think it's a great concept. Thank you. I am so excited to interview you because we have been not only friends for many years now, but we've also been colleagues. We have been podcast partners. So um, this is going to be a yeah. lot of fun. I'm excited. And, and we've also been, I think, uh, mutual admirers of each other's work and, yes. and careers. Absolutely. Let's start by talking a little bit about your background and how you became a music therapist. Of course. Um, and I'll try to give the, the truncated version. But in essence, I'm I'm kind of in stage three of my career. So I I would say I started my career with a private practice in Colorado. And I began the practice after completing my master's degree in music therapy. Um, I did. I, I had a different graduate track than most music therapists in that uh, I didn't work after receiving my bachelor's degree. I, I earned my bachelor's. I was I was trained as a music therapist uh, at the University of Iowa and then at Music Works of California in San Diego and went straight on to my master's. And so I didn't really begin clinical work until after completing my master's at Colorado State University. I then had a practice for about five years, 
And um, that's also, I mean, we're talking guitars and granola bars here. That's also when I began my family. Uh, then we moved to the Kansas City area, and I started PH, my PhD work at the University of Missouri, Kansas City. So that's kind of, you know, step two, stage two of my career. And I am now in stage three of my career. I am an assistant professor of practice of music therapy at the uh, University of Miami in Coral Gables, Florida, where today it is about 77 degrees outside and really, really pretty. Um, I also run the clinical training program here. And in addition to that, what I also definitely consider part of my career is I also serve as regulatory affairs associate for the certification board for music therapists. And I'm a blogger and podcaster. So basically you do it all. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know about it all, but I do like what I do. (laughs) And what I find so interesting about your career as a music therapist is that you have worked in every setting. You've worked in facilities. You've worked in private practice. You've worked in academia. So really you've had this this very – varied career and so you have so much experience working in different capacities and with different kinds of people with students with professors Mm -hmm. with clients so um, we can talk a little bit more about that as we go but let's backtrack a little bit to the point at which you started your family and let's talk a little about what work looked like for you during that time that you were pregnant right well, it was, I was fortunate at the time, and I was beginning my family as I was starting my practice. And so I um, intentionally worked part-time for the first, for actually the entire time I had my practice, I myself worked part-time. I have um, two children now, so at the time I was you know, having my first child, and then my second child, and then I had babies, and then I had toddlers. And it was a really nice fit for me personally, as well as for my family, uh, to just maintain that part-time load. Um, most, uh, so let's see, I don't, I don't even know where to start. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I was doing some clinical work and then as my practice grew, once I was pregnant with my second child, when I went on maternity leave, that's when I began to hire help. So I hired an administrative assistant and I uh, hired a couple of other music therapists to take over some of the clinical load. So then once my second child was born, um, I still did some clinical work, but half of my part-time work was running the business, which I did out, um, out of my home. The other nice element that happened, you know, I nursed both of my children for a year. When my second was born, that's also when we hired a part-time live-in nanny. And so my children would just be at home all day. I would go off into like my bedroom or my office space to work. And when my daughter, it was time for her to eat, the babysitter would just bring her up. I'd feed her and then she'd take her away. So I had these really nice breaks in the in the middle of my day where I got to hang out with my kids. That is so nice. That's honestly the perfect setup, I think, for somebody it, it, that's running their own business, working from home nursing a baby. And we talk about that so often on the podcast that that really is kind of a full-time job in a, in and of itself is mm-hmm. <laughs> nursing a baby because you have to do it around the clock and there's no breaks. 
There's no breaks. And it's always such a relief when, or I found it to be such a relief when my children started to eat solid food because then the entire burden wasn't on me. Right. Exactly. <laughs> now then there was, a, at least I knew that they would, you know, if, if I, if something happened and I was late or something like that, they would eat. <laughs> yes. I know. I'm getting to that point with Mia. She'll be five months old this week. And so we'll have one more month and then we'll start solid. So I'm just crossing my fingers that yep. she's a little more into it than Parker was because he had no interest <laughs> until he was well over a year old in solids. Really. Oh, so, <laughs> I know. So I'm hoping, hoping, hoping that Mia is very interested. So we'll see. Well, one of the things I, I do want to say when you're talking about how I balanced the, the child bit with the work bit when I moved, when we moved to, to Kansas City at the time, my oldest was three and a half and my youngest was one and a half. Um, and we put them in a, a formal daycare setting. That first year was kind of a, a transition year. I had started my work with CBMT, which was also a part-time job that I did entirely out of the home. But I still needed some some daycare, um, daycare support so I could do the CBMT work. And so again, it was a really nice part-time balance. Fast forward a year later, my kids are four and a half and two and a half, and I start my PhD uh, work while continuing with CBMT. So that was a pretty big shift for everyone in the family um, because I went basically from working part-time to working time and a half between mm. the, the PhD and the CBMT work. Right. So that was, that took a, lot of adjusting for everyone involved for, you know, my husband really stepped up. My kids had to get used to mommy working a lot more. I had to get used to working a lot more. That was a really, really big change. How did you deal with that internally? I know that I'm sort of struggling with this right now because I've undergone some pretty big, big transitions with my business and <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know, um, to say the least. And, and along with the other things that I'm doing, um, on the side, it's, it's a lot of work and I'm, I don't have a whole lot of time left for that I had before for my family. Um, so how did you kind of reconcile that? And did you deal with any of that guilt that we have so often? You know, uh, these are, there are a couple of different questions embedded in there. <laughs> the guilt one is the easiest because I didn't experience a lot of guilt. There were times, yes, but not that many actually. And I think it was in large part because I really wanted the PhD. And so I was, um, I, I just, it was, it was a, a goal of mine. And so it was something that when the time came, that opportunity presented itself, I committed. And I'm, I'm just the kind of person where when I commit, I do it. I also give a lot of credit on the, on the guilt piece, um, to my husband because he, really help. He had also, he also has his, his doctorate. He has a DMA in conducting and, and a DMA for those of you who don't know, is a doctorate of musical arts. Um, so he's been through it. He knew what it meant. He could understand what I was going through, but he was also really good about telling me when I needed to stop. So he helped me set those boundaries. I didn't have to do it all on my own. And, and I learned and, and I got better about it over time. Um, I also knew and, and we kind of worked through that there were times where I would just have to work. So for example, 
I would, at the time, the other complication is that we actually lived an hour outside of Kansas City, and UMKC is in Kansas City. I also had family in Kansas City. So we worked it out to where once a week I would stay with my family. And I shifted my time in a way that I would be sure to work. The night I was in Kansas City that I wasn't with my kids and my husband, um, I would do a lot of work so that I wouldn't have to do it when I was home with my family. I also would, when I had you know time carved out to work on homework or work on grading or, or course prep, whatever I had to do, I just get it done in that time and so I could forget about it. So I, I don't know, a couple of, I think I've kind of tangented, is that a word? Tangented a bit? Kind of <laughs> tangential. I don't even remember what the original question was. <laughs> no, but that really does answer it for me. And something I've okay. always admired about you is how driven you are and the fact that you make no apologies for your career and going after the things that, that are really important to you. And I think that sets an amazing example to your children and the fact that you are um, so ambitious and so, um, and you take your career seriously. And even though it's been really difficult, and I know that you've had a lot of challenges just logistically in the last few years, um, I think now a couple moves, yeah, a couple, moves, a couple you know, couple little things here and there, and we can, we'll talk more about that, I'm sure. Um, but I think I'm sure now that you're more in a place where things are starting to um, not necessarily settle down, but there aren't as many changes happening as as there were before, that it feels like it was all worth it <laughs> to get to this point. Rachel, you just hit the nail on the head. The, basically, the past five years of my life have been one big transition from when in, in 2010, we found out we were moving to Missouri. Um, I you know started the job with CBMT. I started the PhD work all the way through now. I mean, I've been in, uh, this is my second year at the University of Miami, but in the first year, I was still completing my doctorate. We bought a house. So it, my life has been one, it's the last five years, have been one major life transition after another, multiple transitions in a year. Now I'm settled in this job. I've completed my PhD. Uh, my kids are, are, you know, in the first and third grade. Don't ask me how that happened. Um, we've, we're settled into a house. I mean, I, I really, I told my husband this summer, I was like, I just want to like have nothing big happen coming up for at least a year. Give us a year just to enjoy this. Right. I don't blame you. I do feel a lot. This is a different feeling than what I've had in a very long time. And it's really nice. And do you feel like that's changed you as a person having that more of that stability now? Uh, it is so far. I mean, it's only been a, like a couple of months. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, you know, I, I do. One of the biggest changes I've noticed is that I'm now at a place and I'm, I'm working very hard to, to stay here where I don't work at night that often and I don't work on weekends that often. That for me is a really, really big change. There's still some things every once in a while I still have to work at night, especially when I have calls with CBMT, um, but it's maybe once a week. And I, I've been able to, I, the, a lot of the roles and, and part of being a faculty member, um, it's a little easier now, even in this second year. And so I've been able to do it during the workday. So that's been 
for me the biggest change. When I'm at home, I'm with my family. I'm helping the kids with homework. I'm making dinner. I'm help. You know, we're doing fun things as a family. It's really it's a nice place to be. Right. Yeah. And how have your kids adjusted to all of the changes and now being really settled in Miami? I tell you, they're pretty freaking fantastic. <laughs> they they have taken it all in stride, but both of my kids and they both transitioned. Well, my, my daughter, who's the younger one, it, it took her a little bit longer. She doesn't come to it as naturally as my son does, but by a little bit longer, you know, a couple more weeks, it it just, it takes a little, we have to prep, you know, I have to, to work with her and, and prep her for changes a little sooner than with my son. My son, I can just say, Hey, we're doing this and be like, Oh, great. Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) I do it. Um, but overall with all these moves, with all these changes, you know, we've made an intentional effort to talk with them. We tell them what's happening. They've been fine. That's awesome. Then that has to Mm -hmm. help you and, and help you kind of, um, ease some of that, any worry that would have existed otherwise, if they had had some issues with the transitions. That, that is true. And, and kind of my ultimate barometer has for, for my children has been, are they healthy and are they happy? And are they happy? Right. They're healthy. They're happy. That allows me to keep doing what I'm doing. If, if something along those two measure, you know, my own personal measurements were to change, that would absolutely change my focus and what, and what I'm able to do. But because they're happy, they're learning, they're thriving, they're healthy, I'm able to, to do what I can do. That's huge. I'm, I'm so glad that you said that because I think too often for myself and I know for others, we sometimes are hard on ourselves and thinking, oh, you know, if only I was doing this differently or spending less time on this. Um, but then, you know, I have to think, like you just said, my kids are so happy and they are very healthy and I'm so lucky for that. But mm-hmm. that sort of, you know, when I think about that, it helps me remember, okay, I'm meant to be doing the things that I'm doing and my kids are good, so we're all good. So I, I'm really, exactly. I really like that. Um, so you've sort of been through, like we talked about, all of these different places as a music therapist. So you've gone from being a clinician to a business owner to a student, to now a professor. So how how do you feel like your um, role as a music therapist and your perspective as a music therapist has changed or evolved? Ooh, I like that question. Um, I'm going to answer that by starting to say – I. One thing I, I find a real challenge, you know how you get those surveys in the mail and the surveys, you know, some of these surveys ask questions like, how many clients do you serve? Well, here's the thing for the past five years. And, and I'm going to preface this by saying, this is something I do want to change for myself personally, but that's a different conversation. But for the past five years, I really haven't seen any clients, but yet I, I, to my core, feel like I'm a, a music therapist, um, and, in all the different aspects of my life and what I do, it just doesn't have the, the clinical lens that most music therapists have right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- how have I changed? I certainly changed the most as a result of going back to school and undergoing the PhD training. It, it 
really challenged uh, my intellectual curiosity and I was able to explore things I was interested in in more depth um, and, and just have the time. I, I think one of the one of the real benefits of graduate work is that it forces you to have time and to set aside time to think and to think and to write and to read and to think some more. And you don't get that in the bustle of kind of daily, daily life, you, you know, especially with the family, when you're running a business, things like that, you just got to do, you got to make quick decisions um, and you just got to do it with PhD work you're forced to think. And that's a really fantastic, I, I really, really enjoyed that. And I think having that opportunity um, to do that over years, it, it brought more depth to what I do in my understanding of what I do. And also, I think it'll continue as well because um, it's something that I try to instill in my students and I try to instill it then by asking them questions and by modeling some of this and and um it, it's something and and as I continue in research it's something that I myself am hoping to continue as I start uh, engaging in more research collaborations and in all aspects of what I do from the teaching to the research to um, supervising practicum students always being curious and always trying to figure out why and how that's how I've changed the most. Yeah. And I see that just, you know, in spending time with you and talking with you, you're always asking those questions that uh, it's like the teacher in you is coming out <laughs> all the time, which I love, but you're always, you're always questioning and wondering, you know, is there a better way to do this or how else could we do this? Um, mm -hmm. That I think your students are really lucky to have you um, showing them the way as music therapists and opening up this brand new world to them. Um, <laughs> do yeah, you... I, find, so I do it with my kids too. Like they ask me a question and it's like, well, I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. <I'm> just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're going through that at my house right now where every, uh -huh. everything that I tell Parker, the response is why, but, and then another why, and then another why it's never ending. So I'm constantly like, coming up with these things and, you know, half the time I have no idea what the real answer is. So yep. yeah, I'm, 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 <laughs> so then you redirect. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's the Kimberly in me that's, that's coming out and <laughs> asking those questions back. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, I remember the, the one time that, uh, this was a couple of years ago, but, um, my son, we were in the car and it was one of those, I really don't know what to say moments. And he had asked, um, you know, and this was one or two holidays ago. He goes, mom, is Santa Claus real? Oh, no. And it was one of those like, because my daughter was in the car too. I was like, how do I answer this? And and I just, I shot it right back at him. I said, so what do you think? Perfect. What did he say? <laughs> he said yes. He said, yes. He said okay. yeah, I, th I think Santa Claus is real. And he kept on going a bit. And I breathed a real big sigh of relief. Yes, yes. <laughs> It's yeah. like I wasn't ready to give that up for him yet. No, <laughs> no, not quite. So, yeah. what are yeah. some what are some of the challenges? I know that you've come to a really good place with your family and with your kids, but what challenges do you still face um, with your life as a professor and 
your busy schedules, both yours and your husband's. Yeah. Well, one of the challenges, quite frankly, is that I have now added another part-time job to my load, and that is managing my kids' homework. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, uh, um, that I wasn't quite anticipating. Uh, and it started last year. And so that's, I'm, I'm still, you know, once the school year hit, it's like, all right, here's my, you know, second part-time job is just managing my kids' workload. And that'll, I've heard from friends who have older kids that that'll go away about when my kids are in the fourth, maybe fifth grade. So I only have a couple years of this. I mean, there, there's still things to help with and manage, but I mean, right now it's really, okay, what homework do my kids have? What, what's due when I prompt them to do things. I check their work, blah, 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 blah. I know that won't completely go away for a while, but it, it is, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely their school manager right now. Yeah. That can't so be that's easy. Been, yeah. It's well, and the other thing that really sucks about it is that <laughs> when I go home, I can't relax. You know, I have to go home and it's time to, to start dinner and it's time to check the homework. And so th- this actually relates to the concept of what is a challenge, I mean, one of the challenges is by the time we get home, it's six o'clock and we have two and a half hours to fit in our entire evening routine, which includes making dinner and doing the dishes and doing homework and practicing piano and um, taking showers and brushing teeth. So I, I still have to keep going when I get home. Right, right. So right. That, that's a challenge. Yeah. Have you, what was that? Have you found that you've um, been able to devote more time on the weekends to kind of make up for the hustle and bustle of the weeknights? Yeah, we, we chill a lot on the weekends right now. Mm-hmm. And we try very, the other thing I try to do is, um, and especially now, try not to overschedule our kids. So we do, they're each in three different activities. Um, one of them they actually do as part of their after school program. Uh, And then the other two are are things that my husband and I take turns, depending on our schedule, taking them to one is one is dance and one is piano. Um, But we try very hard any activities that they do. We try not to schedule it on the weekends. It just so happens that one of them, the only time is on a Saturday, which we really don't like, but it's important. It's it's piano lessons and piano is important to us that we just said, all right, we're just going to do it. Um, But. Yeah, the weekend is for relaxing, is for being together, is for doing fun things, and sometimes homework if needed. Yeah, I so we do try that up. Yeah, I admire that because I see working with so many families, I see these kids that are so overscheduled. So not only are they mm-hmm. taking lessons or are they involved in classes, but they're also playing three different sports, and then they're doing these other extracurricular things on the side, and it's like. I can't imagine how stressed you, not only as the child, but also as the parent must be juggling the logistics and all the extras that come with all of those activities. Like, how do you do yeah, it? And this, and, and this was a decision my husband and I came to jointly, and it was not a hard decision because both of us now work full time. So there's, we just can't do everything. And we, you know, we're both in academia. We can't afford... Um, a nanny to take them everywhere. (laughs) Right. Um, But it is a deal breaker if, if say we're looking into a sports program and and there are several down here where they practice two times a week and have weekend games. It's like, yeah, no, we're not going to do that. It's, 
until our kids express a real interest and they're willing to commit, but they're eight and six. Yeah. You know, they need to play. Mm -hmm. I just, I feel very strongly. They need to have some unstructured time where they just play and they be, and they learn to, to entertain themselves. Right. Yeah. I love that. So what are some of the most fulfilling aspects of being a working mom, especially now that you're working completely full time? Um, I get to do what I love and it makes me happy. I, I'm around other adults. I'm, I'm doing something that I am intellectually and emotionally invested in and that interests me and that challenges me. Um, and, and for me, working makes me a better mom. You know, I had probably my hardest month of being a parent was the single month when we first moved to Missouri and I hadn't yet started with CBMT. I wasn't working and I was home with the kids all the time. Mm, yeah. For me personally, I am not stay-at-home mom material. All the women in my family worked. I, it's, it's what I know and it's what enriches me. So that is really the most fulfilling aspect is that I, I am able to both do what I love and do it in a way where I can still, you know, spend time with my kids and enjoy them. Yeah, I can absolutely echo that sentiment. I felt the same way this, um, not this past maternity leave, but the first maternity leave with Parker, when I really just put down all of my work altogether and just, I was home with him completely that entire summer. And it was really hard, really, really, really hard. It is. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. I understand. And, you know, I got a lot of, um, not, not criticism, but, you know, people questioning, wow, you know, you're really taking on a lot of um, things professionally this second time around while I was on maternity leave with Mia. But Honestly, I think that served me really well um, emotionally and um, just all around because I had things that were keeping my mind occupied, that were keeping me from, you know, getting bored or getting bogged down in, you know, the hardness of being a mom and having two small kids. So um, I think it's just one of those things where each person is different when it comes to that. And, you know, we each have a set amount of, of work that is the best fit for us. Absolutely. And, and you learned that the first time around. So when the second one came through, I mean, you know, she came out healthy, you were healthy, you recovered quickly. And you also knew enough from your first experience that, yeah, that's not going to fly with you again. Yeah, so exactly. Got to do it differently. Yep. That's, I think that's fantastic. That's the bottom line. Yeah. Well, we talk so much about self-care as therapists, and I know that there are certain things that you do that um, help you recharge your batteries. So what are some of your favorite self-care practices? One is I make sure to exercise on a regular basis, and um, I do it first thing in the morning <laughs> because if I don't do it, then it's not going to happen. Uh, and it's, and I give myself breaks. If I, if I miss a day, that's fine. Or like last week I didn't work out at all cause I was fighting a cold and I just needed to rest. But that's one way I self care is I make sure to, to try to stay healthy. I try to eat healthy. Um, I also, uh, self care by enjoying wine. That's one of the ways when I, uh, you know, my husband and I, we share a bottle, we sit and talk. That's another way I self care. Um, I also really enjoy cooking. 
And in, and this crazy during the school year time, I don't, that's not, you know, during the week, I don't cook, I assemble meals. And so when I shop, I'd be sure to, to, you know, make sure I have meals on hand that I just whip together really easily. So I call it more meal assembly. But when I actually do get to try new recipes and cook in the summer or on the weekends, um, that's another way I self-care. I also listen um, and now start, my sister got me a Kindle for my birthday this year. So I'm starting to, again, read books. Um, and I've had an Audible account for years. And so I listen to, to audio books when I uh, drive in the car and when I work out. Um, so I, I it's almost like I build in little mini practices. So it's not a huge chunk of time, but I build in mini practices. I've also added a couple of new ones this year. Now that I'm finished with my PhD, um, I'm starting to get regular massages. And I am starting to get like regular pedicures and, and things like that. So I, I try to there's some daily practices that I do and, and some like a couple times a month special treats I give myself. Nice. And that's, I think, a really good way to approach it, especially as for somebody as busy as you, is to mm-hmm. break it down into smaller times where you can fit those things in as opposed to having to devote, to devote an entire half day or day to those things because we know that yeah. does not <laughs> happen very often. Well, and I, th- I think there's also uh, something – to having a, a self-care ritual. So what is something that's a, it's a daily practice, whether it's exercise, I mean, you know, it may even be you get some sort of really nice facial lotion. And so you take care of your skin and your face and, and having some sort of daily routine, daily ritual for yourself, I think is an important part of that. It doesn't have to be long. Yeah. I think that's a great suggestion. Mm-hmm. So speaking of suggestions, you always have such great advice. And one quote that um, I always remember from you is that you can do it all, just not all at the same time. And I may be paraphrasing that a little bit, but that was something that you told <laughs> Michelle Erfurt and I back when we first became moms, so a couple of years ago. And that has always stuck with me. And I always, you know, <laughs> think, think of that when I'm feeling a little overwhelmed. Well, I appreciate, and I want to give credit to that where credit is due. I heard that um, as an undergraduate student at the University of Iowa, and um, it was told to me by my flute professor's wife, and um, they had a kid, I think at the time he was like six or seven or something like that, and she was working on her DMA in, was it a DMA or PhD? I don't remember. She was working on a doctorate in like music theory or something like that. And at the time, I'm an undergraduate student, like family kids, that is, is not <laughs> even on my radar. So I have no idea how this came up in conversation, but um, she had told me, she said, you know, you can do everything as a mom that you did before. It just might take you a little longer. Yeah. And that that resonated with me then. And so that is the, um, that is what I share when... That's one of the things I share when, when people ask. And so you, you've heard that. Michelle has heard that. Um, and it still resonates with me. Yeah. Yeah. I love that so much. So thank you for sharing that with me. And yeah. any other pieces of advice, maybe even now that your kids are a little bit older for those of us who are still in the trenches, as they say? There will be things you have to let go. It's not going to be perfect. It'll be messy. 
it'll be chaotic, but just I don't, take it one day at a time. It's it's so <laughs> my husband would groan. He doesn't like cliches, but all the cliches that you hear are true. The are days true. are long, the year is short. Take it one day at a time. I mean, it'll it'll go by quickly. All that stuff. It it's really really true. And um, just you know, do what you can to enjoy what you have, relish in it, and just take it step by step. Yeah, I think that is the best possible advice. And even though it is a cliche and it's something we hear all the time, it's something we need to hear and we need to be reminded of. I think at every stage of the game. (laughs) I, I, I think so too. Yeah, yeah. Well, Kimberly, thank you so much for being on the podcast and sharing your story with us. I, again, appreciate the invitation. And yeah, thanks for having me on, Rachel. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to send Kimberly a message, you can contact her via her website, musictherapymaven.com. There are just 10 episodes left of this inaugural season of the podcast. So if you'd like to be a guest, please let me know. Get in touch and find the show notes for this episode at guitarsandgranolabars.com. And while you're there, please make sure to sign up for my newsletter. I have some really cool things coming your way and I don't want you to miss out. I'll talk to you again next week.